This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, May 20th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include an unusually forthcoming Apple takes credit for stopping suspect transactions. Security research uncovers a Find My Network exploit that could allow micro-text messaging. The New York Times describes Apple's critical balancing act with China. Plus, our expert stress tests a four-pack of AirPods. How much abuse can Apple's tiny tracker take? Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just great. What's new? Is there any news in the world? Maybe more than a little bit. Okay, where where do we begin? Do we want to talk about Apple releasing a statement about all of the suspect transactions that they stopped in 2020? That's a good idea. Let's talk about that. Because last week, we talked about the fact that the Xcode ghost malware infected more than 100 million iOS users, and Apple didn't tell anyone. But they came out this week, and they said, oh, we stopped over $1.5 billion in suspect transactions in 2020, and we prevented a million risky and vulnerable apps from entering the App Store. Now, I think there's two things going on. One, the Xcode ghost information, but also the whole Epic versus Apple trial. Right, yeah. In, in general, I think Apple is is really trying to make this PR push right now. I think they felt a little bit exposed because of that Xcode ghost story that had been going around on Apple news and Apple security news sites like ours. So I feel like that's kind of what this press release was more than anything else. Okay, in other Apple news, and this is a really... I'm, I'm going to say this isn't surprising. Apple has announced that they are going to store personal data of its Chinese customers on computer servers run by a state-owned Chinese firm, and that the government will have the decryption keys for this. And we've mentioned in the past that iCloud is not end-to-end encrypted. So it's encrypted up to the server, but your data is not encrypted, unlike iMessage, which is end-to-end encrypted. And what this means is that they have sort of bowed down to what China has required in order to be able to keep selling iPhones and everything else in China. Right. And this has actually been going on to some degree for quite some time. And, you know, Apple wants to be in China. They want to have their devices and their services available in China because that's a really huge market or potential market for Apple. And in order to do that, of course, they have to comply with local laws. And of course, in China, the laws are much less privacy sensitive, I guess you could say, than they are in many Western countries. And so there's this fine line that Apple has to walk here because they they want to be the privacy company. And they also want to do business in China, which basically means that there are going to be things that are not as private if you live in China. Um, You're going to be using Chinese servers and the government is going to have access to those servers. So that's just kind of the expectation to do business in China. If you have a Chinese-based Apple ID, or if you live in China, then you should basically expect that the the government's going to have access to some of your iCloud data. It's important to note that Apple wants China, but China also wants Apple. 
And the New York Times article talks about Doug Guthrie, the departing dean of George Washington University Business School, who Apple hired to help the company navigate China, a country he had spent decades studying. And this is actually really important. I've known people who've worked with China, and it's very important to speak their language to be able to do things with them. China spent billions of dollars to pave roads, recruit workers, and construct factories, power plants, and employee housing in order to get Apple's supply chain there, which involves millions of workers, thousands of plants, and hundreds of suppliers. So Apple is big business for China, because remember, Apple's not just selling in China, but everything we buy that comes from Apple, well, almost everything. They're starting to make some things in a couple other countries. But every one of those little air tags says made in China on the back. Of course, we know why tech companies tend to produce things in China. It's because, of course, the labor is very cheap there. So it, it makes a lot of sense from it, from that economic perspective. By the way, there's a good quote in this article. Um, the, uh, quoting Guthrie, they say, uh, this business model only really fits and works in China, but then you're married to China. And that's kind of the what Apple is having to deal with is, you know, yes, we're a privacy company, but we also do business in China. And so that's the way it is. Okay. We've talked about the Find My app and network recently because we've been talking about AirTags. In fact, we'll talk more about AirTags in the second part of this podcast. An exploit allows messages and additional data to be sent across Apple's Find My network, reports Mac Rumors. Now, this is kind of interesting because the Find My network knows where you are, knows where all your devices are. And, and, and there's like this, well, network, there's this give and take from device to device to Apple servers to locating cell towers to GPS, etc. And the demonstration for this researcher showed that short strings of text could be sent from a microcontroller running custom firmware over the Find My network. It's not clear whether this can actually be malicious, but it's another one of these security things that, that we kind of find clever that someone's figured out a way to get in through the back door to something. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that it's interesting to see this kind of, of research. It's not necessarily, you know, something that could be used for malicious purposes, but I like the idea of hiding a secret message in your, in your find my traffic. That's kind of funny. Okay, several episodes ago, we talked about the feature that you were the most excited about in the Apple TV, the new Apple TV, that you can hold your iPhone in front of it and you can color calibrate or color balance is what Apple said because it's not as complex as real calibration. Well, it turns out that a professional television calibrator, I didn't know this was a job, put Apple's TV color calibration feature to the test on a range of popular TVs in a video. And we'll link to that in the show notes. And he said, well, basically for a lot of them, it makes the colors worse. And that's kind of what you noticed on your TV, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And, and as I mentioned, when we talked about this, Jay, one of our writers also had a similar experience where it, it took the colors in the wrong direction from what he was anticipating. And that's the same experience that I had too. So I'm not too surprised to see somebody publishing some, some, actual research from somebody who does this for a living and finding the same results. It's nice to see that our opinions and views on this were validated by a professional researcher. <laughs> there's a job for everything, I guess. So, Well, there's also a job for scammers trying to get people's money. And the latest thing that's going on here in the UK, and I wouldn't be surprised if this exists everywhere as well, delivery text scams, the nasty new fraud wave sweeping the UK, says The Guardian. I've gotten about a half a dozen of these. They come from mobile numbers 
Mobile numbers here start with 07 all the time. So they come from mobile numbers. They're not that kind of short text number that you might get from like PayPal or Apple or something like that. And it says, you've got a package coming here and you've got to pay a little bit extra or if you want to change your delivery time or whatever. And the first one I got, I was expecting a package that afternoon and I got one in the morning. I was thinking, oh, maybe this is the same. And I, of course, I looked at the link and in a text message, the link is visible. It's not hidden. I could see that it was a different URL. So it turns out that these people are, they have really good looking web pages and it's, it's not uncommon here sometimes to get a package and have to pay more. So like import duties. So you, you get taken, for example, to a Royal Mail website where you've got to pay £2.99 for import duties. And you say, OK, here's my bank card and here's my CVV and expiration date and all that. And boom, they get into your card and they start buying things. You have to remember, no company is going to send you a text message for something like that. So here, if Royal Mail needs me to pay extra money for import duties, they put a card through the door with a specific code that you type in when you get to the website. Any other company like that, they're going to send you a letter sometimes. I had once from UPS was a letter before I got a package that was coming from overseas. So be really careful about these text message scams because... You know, if they're just sending these to millions of people and with so many people ordering stuff online because of COVID, the odds of someone having a package from the particular carrier they mentioned coming that day are pretty high. And that was my case the first time. Right. I definitely get a lot of scam text messages. I don't know if I've seen any for package delivery. I think I may have gotten one or two, but this is definitely a very common thing. Text messages are really easy for any company or scam organization to send and doesn't cost a lot of money. And all it takes is for them to get a small percentage of people to click on a link in, in their text messages. It, it's the same thing as spam email. There's not really necessarily going to be a high number of people who are going to see the message after spam filtering takes place and then click on a link. But it's enough that it's still worth it for some companies to send spam messages. And it's it's becoming the same thing now with text messages as well. You know, this is real time. I just got an email from Stripe Support. <laughs> Stripe. Yes, the payment company. Login and update. Payout of $215.75 has been paused. And there's a button that says login and update now. Now, the thing about emails is you can hide the URL behind the button. So we've told many times you hover your cursor or you tap and hold on an iOS device to see what the URL is. Text message, the URL is obvious. You can't obfuscate it. Um, right. That's generally, generally speaking, that is true. <laughs> As of right now, that's basically true. There are things, though, that I guess if somebody were sending an iMessage, um, I, I guess there are some things that people could do to try to deceive you more easily than if you were getting an, an SMS, just because you get that web page preview. Right. And so they could make something in the preview look like it were, you know, some official website. So that is something that you do need to be careful about. You can see the domain um, below the, the preview when you get a, a, an iMessage. So um, that is something to, to watch out for. Okay. Amazon Ring is the largest civilian surveillance network the U.S. has ever seen. Another article from The Guardian. One in 10 U.S. police departments can now access videos from millions of privately owned home security cameras without a warrant. They can't do this here. We've discussed this before. We each have a ring doorbell in our homes. This is not allowed in the UK. I don't know if it's because there hasn't been agreements or if the law is against it. I'm more likely to think it's a, a personal data law thing. This is actually a bit, 
I don't want to say it's disturbing because on the one hand, if it's from a doorbell, it's just taking videos in public spaces, right? But is it actually getting stuff on people's cameras in their homes? Well, this is kind of a, a thing that I think people need to be aware of because, you know, ring uh, doorbells are very common. Uh, certainly, I see them a lot in the United States. And of course, Ring makes a lot of other security camera and, and general security, home security products. So because I think of the popularity, that's where this becomes sort of a bigger concern. Um, now, if uh, obviously, if you support law enforcement efforts and, you know, a lot of people are not going to have a problem with this at all. The idea of law enforcement being able to tap into a ring camera anytime, any place, that's fine for us, for some people. But that can be a, a concern for others. Um, maybe you don't necessarily want law enforcement to be able to activate any of your cameras at any time. And even if you only have the doorbell, which is just facing the street, that could still be a concern for some people. It's it's a very controversial feature. Um, I, you know, I guess I guess Amazon and Ring feel like uh, it's valuable enough that obviously they're not shutting it down. Um, so we'll we'll see what ends up happening in the future with this. I think with all the privacy laws and all the attention that's being drawn to this with headlines like this in the Guardian. Um, we may see Amazon, the owner of Ring, maybe they'll decide to, to change their, their approach to this at some point in the future. I have a Ring camera that allowed me to recently discover that I had an interloper coming into my house. Oh, an interloper. That sounds kind of scary. Yes, an interloper with four paws. Oh. I have a cat camera, which is next to a cat flap, so I can see when my cats come in and out and I get notifications because they go outside freely. And we never set up the cat flap with the batteries so it's locked except when one of our cats goes through. You know, with the microchips in the neck, they can trigger the, the cat flap to open. And I noticed that food was running low. And one evening I came downstairs and I heard a scurrying noise. And then when I looked on my videos, I saw that there was an interloper, another cat coming in the house. Oh, boy. So we quickly set up the cat flap so that other cat couldn't get in. But I do see that cat coming every couple of days, three, four in the morning, pawing at the cat flap saying, I used to get in here before. What changed? Well, see, this wouldn't be a problem if you had dogs, right? All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about air tags, how I washed and dried and drove over and stepped on and put into water. And I didn't cook an air tag, but nearly. <laughs> okay. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. 
Okay, so we're going to talk about air tags again. Josh, did you get any air tags yet? No, no. I I wish that I had just ordered them like the day, the moment they came out, because then I could have just had them in hand already. But at this point, um, it still looks like if you want to get a four pack of them, which of course is the most economical way to get air tags, you're going to have to wait several weeks still if you order them today. Yeah, one to two months here. It's kind of interesting because it's as if Apple didn't think people were going to buy more than one or two air tags, whereas at 99 bucks for four, given what people spend on Apple products, right? It seems a no-brainer that people, if they want one, they're going to buy more than one because you'll get one and you'll stick it in your luggage. Then you'll think, well, if I had another one, I could put it here. And it's just that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And this is really kind of surprising because Tim Cook used to be Apple COO, chief operating officer. And this was the thing that he was really well known for, making sure that Apple had enough of whatever product at the time of launch and that they kept the supply chain moving. And so this is a, a little bit of a surprise to see something like this happen where there was uh, where Apple actually really under, clearly underestimated this. This wasn't something that Apple does to try to, you know, make it appear as though they have a really successful product launch. Apple doesn't do that. They want to actually sell products and get them into people's hands. And, um, well, they definitely underestimated the four packs success. Well, since I got a bunch of them, I did some testing. I put them through their paces. I wanted to find out how tough AirTags are. I'll link to an article in the Intego Mac security blog where I describe what I did. I I put one in the washer and dryer. I put one in the freezer. I put one in the sun under the dashboard of my car to try and figure out how well they would deal with abuse. I even took another one, drove over it with my car a couple of times. My car parks on a gravel sort of parking area. And then I figured, well, the car is not really doing much. So I just took my foot. I had a boot on. I took my foot and I ground it into the thing. And these things, they stood up really well. I think we're not going to have any problems in longevity for these devices. The grinding an air tag into the ground with a boot really sounds a little bit 1984-esque. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yes. Well, I tried to figure out everything I could do in normal conditions, right? So one thing I was thinking, you got an air tag in a bag and it's sitting in the trunk of your car or it's on the back, behind the back windshield or whatever in the sun. It can get really hot, right? Yeah. So I took an air tag and... Weather is unseasonally cool here in the United Kingdom, but we had a sunny day and I took an air tag and a piece of black cloth and I put a thermometer with it and it got up to 44 degrees centigrade, which is in Fahrenheit. Go on. You must know what that is. I, I found this in your article. It's 111.2 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> yes, I was trying to be precise. But in summer, it would have been a lot hotter. It could have gotten up to 60 easily. You know, it, it gets really hot inside a car. And... What I found is that nothing made these air tags blink. They all work fine. They're all detectable. And what I did find out is something that Apple doesn't say. They don't say what temperature you can use the air tag in. They don't say what the what temperature it's it's guaranteed to work in. If you look for an iPhone, it's rated to go between zero and thirty five degrees centigrade, which is thirty two and ninety five Fahrenheit. But they don't say anything about the air tags. Now, being the clever tech journalist that I am, I figured, well, the only element that is affected by the temperature is the battery. So I looked up the specs for the battery. 
Mine has a Panasonic CR2032 battery. It can go from minus 30 degrees centigrade to plus 60. For those still speaking in Fahrenheit, that's minus 22 Fahrenheit to plus 140. So I think you don't have to worry too much about the temperature for an AirTag. Yeah, I, there are very few places on Earth where it ever reaches 140 degrees Fahrenheit. So I don't think we have to worry too much about that. There are a couple there in are the a Middle couple. East. In fact, I believe last year someplace hit 147. But that doesn't mean that it won't work. That just means that they're not guaranteeing it'll work. And or the battery life will be shorter in those extreme temperatures. So I wouldn't worry about it. So one thing I looked up, I was curious about this. If you go in an airplane at 30,000 feet, the temperature is extremely low, right? But I found out that cargo holds are actually maintained at a temperature of about 7 degrees centigrade. Oh, interesting. And I wouldn't have expected that. But I guess there are enough things in the cargo holds, maybe they're shipping you know, avocados or whatever, or different things, that they do keep it at a, a special temperature. And there's even a separate part of the cargo hold that's kept at something like 20 degrees centigrade, and that's where they carry your pets if, you've, if you bought a ticket for your dog. The dog goes in steerage, but they keep it at comfortable temperatures. They don't want it to freeze. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, 7 degrees centigrade, by the way, that's 44 degrees Fahrenheit. So that would be a bit cold for a pet. So it makes sense to, ha to have a, a, a warmer... Uh, environment for pets to, yeah. to be stored. So one thing I did worry about was putting it in the washer and dryer. Not so much for the temperature, but for the fact that in the washer, my washer has a spin dry thing at 1400 RPM. And I guess there's a possibility if it comes out of a pocket and bounces around, it might open. But worst case, you go and get the laundry out of the washing machine and you find an air tag in Three pieces, you know, the top, the bottom, and the battery. Yeah, I suppose so. I, I think the thing that I would have been more concerned about with putting it through the laundry is um, it getting wet, right? Is that going to destroy any of the uh, components? Well, it is water resistant. Yeah. It is, as they say, splash water and dust resistant, rated IP67, up to one meter, up to 30 minutes. Now, the depth that they mention increases the pressure of the water, and in a washing machine, you don't have the extra pressure. So I would think that easily it could just sit in a glass of water for quite some time and probably not be a problem. Right, right. Don't put air tags in glasses of water, though. You're not going to track anything like that. If you expect someone to drink the glass of water, that would be... Don't swallow air tags as well. Uh, yeah, there was a commenter on, uh, I think it was the 20-something things you can track article where somebody said that you might want to be careful in certain circumstances if you have a pet, like if you have a dog, for example, who frequently gets their collar off and also likes to eat things, you may not necessarily want to put an air tag on that dog's collar just, be, just in case because it has a battery in it. So This is why you should have cats. Cats don't just eat random things like dogs do. <laughs> Okay, so another, I'd say, less jovial topic is an article that I have on the Intego Max Security blog, Apple's AirTags Can Enable Stalkers and Abusers. So last week, we talked about how I sent an AirTag by the mail to a friend. And one of the things you could do with that is you could find where someone lives. So, so let's say someone uses a post office box rather than giving out their address. Or let's say you send something to someone at their office and they take it home. You could find where someone lives relatively easily. Um, I'll link to that article, which I published last week, where I was basically able to track the whole route from the mailbox down the road from me to my friend's house. 
The problem of air tags and stalking is one that I think Apple's going to have to address. And there have been a few articles. I'll link to the Washington Post article, which was one of the first that talks about this. Just think of these situations. You're a woman. You're in a bar at night. You meet a guy. You don't like him. You say goodbye. What if he slipped an air tag into your bag or your pocket and he finds out where you live? Maybe you got a coworker and you want to stalk a coworker. Not making any suggestions, please. You could do the same thing. Drop an air tag in a pocket, in a bag, any place. The people will take it home. Not only will you find where they live at home, but you'll find where they go. You might know where their kids go to school. You see them going to a particular school, where they go to a gym or any other leisure activity. The problem here, Apple has some protections against stalking. One of them is that after three days, if an AirTag has been moving with you, you'll get an alert on your iPhone, if you have an iPhone. If you have an Android phone, you won't get anything. Also, after three days, if you move an AirTag, it'll make a noise. Now, the one I sent to my friend... He wasn't moving with the AirTag, but when he did take the envelope to go mail it back to me, he should have heard a noise then, and he didn't hear anything. So I, I think the problem here is that there are possibilities that people with this mindset could use this device to stalk people, to follow people, and I think Apple's protection is insufficient. Well, clearly, yeah. First of all, I think the the number one problem here is that it waits three days after seeing that this thing has already been traveling with you that long before giving you a notification. That's the number one problem, because uh, if you think about it, you know, if let's say that um, in the, you know, evil coworker scenario, somebody drops an air tag in your bag, you take it home with you on the weekend, and then you're going to be back in the office, let's say on Monday. So, that weekend period of time, you know, the end of the day Friday to the beginning of the day Monday, if you're in proximity with them um, around the time they leave and around the time they get there, that's less than three days. And so it would be relatively easy, I would think, for somebody to, you know, hide an air tag in somebody's bag and then retrieve it once they get back to the office on Monday. Wait till they're out of the office, take it out of their bag. Now you know where they live. And they don't know that you know where they live. They haven't gotten any kind of alert, even if they have an iPhone in that scenario. Yeah. And so another use case is someone who has a spouse or partner that wants to keep track of them. This is not uncommon. And since the AirTag has to be away from the person who owns it for three days, if they go out during the day and then come home every night and they're near that iPhone, within range of that iPhone, this resets that three-day alarm. So they could have this on them almost all the time without ever knowing that they're being tracked. I think what should happen is there should be an alert after an hour or two. I don't see why they're waiting three days because, okay, they're saying, well, let's say you borrowed your spouse's keys and it has an air tag on them. Well, how much of a hassle is it to get an alert after an hour to say, yes, I'm using these keys. I know that I have this air tag. Don't alert me anymore. That yes. seems to me a lot simpler than having people worry about the three long days. Well, and in fact, what they could do is if you frequently are using somebody else's keys in that scenario, you could say part of that dialogue box could be don't alert me about this air tag anymore because I, you know, I'm frequently using that that keychain or whatever it is. So there's definitely a lot of room for improvement here uh, from from this um, privacy and protecting people 
perspective. So um, Apple's got a lot of work to do there, I think. Okay, so I'll link to the article in the in the show notes. A couple of things that are interesting. One is a video that Apple made with all the different sounds the AirTag makes. Curiously, they don't include the the sort of after three days alert sound, but they all these sounds are the same chirps, just in different rhythms. And I also show what happens if you find an AirTag, you hold it up to the top of your iPhone and you get a little notification that you can tap and you can open a Safari web page. It tells you about the AirTag and the serial number and lets you disable it. Now, the serial number will be linked to an Apple ID of the person who owns the AirTag, but it's not ridiculous to think that someone buys a burner iPhone and creates an Apple ID just for this use without any information going to Apple. So Apple has said that they will cooperate with the police in these cases. But, you know, I'm I'm thinking more the Tom Cruise scenario than the, you know, spouse, coworker, neighbor scenario, that it's almost it's almost brain dead simple for someone to spend 329 bucks on an iPhone SE to create a, a new Apple ID and use some AirTags like this. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. And yet another thing that um, I, I think that it feels like Apple didn't fully think about all the security and privacy implications with these things. It's good um, that they they did think about it in in some degree that they at least have that you know after three days alert, but clearly that wasn't well thought out in terms of like all these scenarios where that could go wrong and that couldn't really protect you. Did you ever see the movie Goodfellas? It's about this gangster who ends up um, turning on his friends in the mafia and goes into witness protection at the end. You see him come out of his door in Phoenix or Albuquerque or whatever in his bathrobe to pick up the newspaper. And one thing I was thinking is. Can't you send a package to someone to like the the FBI forwards it to them? And I was wondering if that could be a plot point in a film to find where someone is in witness protection. Ah, yeah. I like that idea. Okay. For anyone who's seen Line of Duty in the UK, they're definitely going to look for and like that. All right. That's enough for this week. Josh, until next week, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.